Hello, fellow podcasters. Welcome to the Safasa Podcast, where we discuss various topics around neurodiversity and autism spectrum disorder with self-advocates, program directors, and occupational therapists, families, and clinicians. I hope you enjoy what we have in store for you today. Today, we are joined by Danielle Thompson, a self-advocate here in our Edmonton community. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm definitely um, very pleased and I'm very hopeful about this great opportunity. So I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, we want to spend some time talking to you about um, language. But before we do that, I don't I didn't want to speak on your behalf. So I was hoping we could spend a couple of minutes um, and you could introduce yourself to our audience and tell us about yourself. OK, well, I guess about myself. I am 28. I currently live in Edmonton. I actually just moved a couple of weeks ago, so technically three weeks ago into Edmonton. Finally moved out of my parents' place in St. Albert, but I've, I've been living in St. Albert for like the past, ugh, since 20, 2000, like I said, over yeah, 17, 18 years. Like I've been in Edmonton, St. Albert since I was 11. But anyways, that's beside the point. Um, I currently work full time for a not-for-profit organization. I've been with the company for four years, you know, four years coming up. Um, I currently work as a program accountant for them. And I was diagnosed with mild Asperger's when I was 17. So, um, and then I'm currently in the process of getting my certification in payroll, and I'm currently in the process of also getting my um, business administration accounting diploma through Nate at the exact same time. So, yes, I have a lot going on in my life. Yeah, it seems like uh, you're very, very busy. So I really appreciate you giving us your time today. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, we want to talk to you a little bit about language, um, specifically when it comes to person first versus identity first language. Um, and so for, for our listeners that are hearing those terms for the first time, uh, person first language in the context of autism is saying, for example, person with autism, whereas identity first is more autistic person. Um, so first of all, do you have a preference uh, personally with one or the other? I prefer autistic person over person with autism just because it's just more of a identity thing that, yeah, I'm autistic. There's nothing wrong with that fact. But of course, it's one of those things that it's like person with autism is almost like a little bit discriminatory in my understanding of it. It's almost like telling somebody, you know, I guess they're gay or something like that. And that's it's it's the same thing as a label, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a gay person. Instead of saying a person with autism, to me, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I prefer autistic person than person with autism. So. Sounds good. Good to know. Yeah. Not a lot of difference, I guess, for me when it comes to both of them, but that's just how I identify. It's almost, you know, it's like saying non-binary and binary. <laughs> and like everything, right? Everything has a label. So, of course, how I see it, it's almost like I just want to be able to like I said, to me, autistic person is more like an acceptable term than something that is more just against it than anything. So, Yeah, for sure. Um, so to add on to the topic of per person first language, um, I came across this article where creative writer and reporter Maria Ranger, she gives her criticism on person first language. Um, the title is person first language causes more discrimination and 
Um, I'd like to read you a few quotes and if you could tell me your thoughts about it. So okay. the first quote is, I personally dislike person first language for many reasons. The first is that it feels condescending and like meaningless pandering. And the second quote is, it feels like a euphemism. It implies that outright saying their disability or health condition is something to be ashamed of and thus leads to more stigma. So Danielle, what are your initial thoughts on the, on the author's description of person-first person language? Uh, okay. Mm, okay, my initial thoughts is that I guess it can come across that way because like I said, it's the same as, you know, somebody who has PTSD, ADHD, whatever, it should be presented in a way where like, like I said, I don't want that to be a like like anything bad in that regard, because, of course, you know, like I said, everyone's been picked on. Everyone has been, gone through that kind of um, situation, Not probably not everyone, but um, it's still pretty hurtful in that regard, because, like I said, it's that label. It's how it's said. It's how it's worded. It's all of that within that regard. It's just how it's said. So, like, if language was a part of the fact that it's more like if it was reworded differently then it's more accepting and not hurtful because like I said a lot of people can be hurt by how things are said than anything because you know like I said language is a big thing that everybody needs to talk about and that's where even I'm learning about <laughs> communication a lot more over the years. Like I'm actually currently reading nonviolent communication. And actually that's a really amazing book. If people really want to be more nonviolent about how they communicate and how language is worded within that and how the identity portion of it should be more, like I said, accepting and not so against it. So within that nature, um, Yes, I, I, I do agree to what the author is suggesting, because like I said, a lot of people can take it in a different form than anything else. And like I said, what what she is saying is like, I don't think it's completely true. Like I said, it's just how people are wording it than anything else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what I, what I hear you saying is the uh, the language is what plays into how comfortable people are in the environment and if we're trying to create inclusive environments it's sort of the one of the easiest things to check off the list out of a whole host of things yeah and it needs to be worded in a way that it's like i said more included and like i said all autistic people just want to be accepted we don't need the awareness of it we just need to be accepted for who we are and to be included it's the same with you know the Black Lives Movement. It's the same thing. So it's the same with everything that's been going on in the world lately. So of course, you know, even autism is a big thing. It is. Like, it's gonna be around forever just because, you know, it's genetic. <laughs> it's not like it's anything bad, right? So of course, it, like I said, it's just how things are worded. And it needs to be more non-violent instead of how everything's turning out to be violent, because then that's where wars and everything comes into play right that's why the cold war wasn't like we started was just because of how they were communicating absolutely yeah mm. yeah i feel like everyone deserves to be included in any type of environment despite of um if they have autism or if they have any mental disability or if they're from any background 
Would you say so? Yeah. All right, so let's continue on. Um, the author has another quote and he goes on to say, it's kind of liberating to become an advocate for myself and refuse to let people treat my chronic illness as something taboo or something that makes me lesser. Now, Danielle, do you think it's accurate to say that person-first language perpetuates this idea that autism is taboo or devaluing? Um, question, what does taboo actually mean? Because <laughs> I have no idea what it means. <laughs> so taboo is like, um, I don't know the proper definition of it, but it's like a, uh, Priya, correct me if I'm wrong, like a like a norm, right? Or something along those lines that is like a, a here, why don't you say something? I, I don't know the proper definition. Yeah, it's essentially going against a social, not a social norm, um, but something as that's seen in a negative light, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, usually we, we, we see taboo used in like a social sense but it can also be used as something that's just seen as something negative okay yeah in that regard then yeah yeah i definitely see autism being like more of a taboo than anything else regardless because autism is a spectrum it's a huge spectrum there's a lot of people that are extremely severe to the point where they can't work they can't do anything just because everything's in their mind they have mutism they have all these other the fibromyalgia endometriosis like they have so much going on and it's not just the autism it could also be the ADHD it could be every like it's a it, it could be like a multiple of other diagnosis within the autism itself so it's a spectrum like I'm on the very like high functioning end which is the complete opposite compared to some of the ones that are very severe so within that perspective like I said if somebody were to come up to me and I could have a regular I can have a regular conversation with someone and nobody would know that I'm autistic like to me it's almost like it's an invisible <laughs> superpower i guess how a lot of people have been saying it invisible but of course like i said i like it's almost like i just have a different way of thinking and there's nothing wrong with that everybody like i said everybody's born with a different brain that's where neurodiversity is huge everybody's born with a different brain i'm just born with a different brain than everyone else so it's like i just have a different processing system <laughs> compared to you know it's not like it's not like i have a processing error i'm just born with a different motherboard you know like it's like the actual computer itself <laughs> so if that makes any sense in that regard it's like i'm just born with a different complete motherboard compared to having a processing error so it's like there's nothing wrong with that fact there isn't so of course that's the big thing when it comes to it and of course i'm a big advocate for myself in general because i've learned to accept who i am a lot more even with being autistic even though i'm still learning about it asperger's is still the same thing as being high functioning autism but of course asperger's is just a you know, it's no longer considered a term now than anything. But of course, that was part of the last year that was diagnosed with it before it's no longer a label. Um, but that's besides the point. So um, advocacy is a huge thing. The taboo is definitely big as to what's out there, because a lot of people probably still think that it, like even the vaccines cause autism, which is BS. So, Like I said, it's all within genetics. Like, I don't know, somebody within my 
my great grandmother or my grandmother on my dad's side or mom's side. I don't know, but one of them was more than likely autistic or else I wouldn't be who I am. So within that, like I said, it's one of those things that I consider a huge change that needs to definitely happen is the fact that uh, there's a lot of bad within this world and a lot of people are taking advantage of it. Like if you guys have heard of Autism Speaks, they're one of those companies that I've heard a lot about that a lot of people have gone through ABA therapy and that hasn't been good because it's a behavioral thing of what's changing within someone who's autistic and it has been like pretty hurtful. I guess from what I've heard about it than anything else, I haven't gone through it, thank goodness, but I've heard a lot of from other autistic people and a lot of bad within that. And what this company does is apparently they, like every, like I know a lot of people in the States are trying to still boycott the company, but they are pretty much taking advantage of everyone being scared of autism, like completely terrified. And they're giving them all this money to try and find a cure, which is BS because I don't consider there is no cure. It's like the same with having ADHD, PTSD. It's a thing. It's still a thing. So within that, um, what they're trying to do is pretty much make money off of it. Of the fact that how people are scared, they're just making money off of it, which isn't good and it needs to stop. It does. It needs to stop. It can't be something that can continue. It can't. People are just scared of it. And I'd rather... Like I said, I want, to, like I said, that's why it's almost good for others to be more accepting and, you know, like actually support the, you know, like the local organizations that actually want to be more accepting and actually support us. Even as an adult, um, there, there's not a lot of support for us as adults. There's more supports for children and teenagers than there are for adults. So I also want to be able to hopefully wear, wear, raise awareness in a way where we can actually have more supports, even for people who are undiagnosed to finally have the supports and the funding to even get a diagnosis. Because how I got diagnosed was that my parents ended up uh, having to go to a private psychologist, and that's how I ended up getting diagnosed. But I'm not sure how much money they spent in order for that to happen, but I know it wasn't cheap. So I wish there was other ways that a lot of people can get diagnosed where it doesn't have to cost them a lot of money to do so in order to have that process like you know like you know like not so long kind of thing because the public system it takes forever to try to get a diagnosis so of course i want to be able to try and help people in a way where it's you know accepting for everyone kind of thing so. yeah absolutely i i really liked your uh, analogy of the different motherboard i think that really does speak to <laughs> it's not a processing error it's a different like like processor itself like the actual computer like i said i found it on the internet and i'm like hey this is true yeah no absolutely that's great um no i definitely understand what you're saying it's uh it's interesting too that i'm i'm currently in a taking a neuroscience degree and when we first got a lecture on on autism we actually had a clinical psychologist come in um and he really talked about this transition away from the curative approach where you have like people looking for a cure quote unquote, and more of a trying to understand how we can make a more accommodating environment. And I know for sure, like um, I actually have a, a, a member of my family uh, who's autistic um, and, you know, supports are expensive too. And I think part of that part of, part of talking about it is also making supports more accessible to you know huge variety of people yes exactly like i said support is huge and it's almost like within the community itself we need 
like our friends, our family, people who actually like accept us in order to have that support system in order for us to be successful as human beings. And that's huge. Yes, communication is one of our struggles. But like I said, everyone has those difficulties. Um, within my life, I'm learning how to communicate pro properly, more professionally. And it's been difficult for me because it's like I'm learning a new language. So within that, I babble <laughs> like a little baby. Because, you know, that's what babies do when they learn how to talk, right? They babble. They start imitating. They start mimicking. They start doing all of that when they're little, right? Because that's how people learn how to talk, right? So I'm doing that. But of course, you know, apparently it was considered something that um, I guess one of my coworkers didn't like and I got a pretty bad, well, not a complete, like just a bad comment on it. So I ended up actually recently setting up accommodations with my employer. So now I'm able to wear noise canceling headphones and I'm allowed to use my iPad that I've used for school, use it in the workplace as part of my um, space that I need in order for me to, you know, so it's like I, I can kind of put all of my babbling that's going on in my head, put it on an iPad if a question is too complicated for me, and then I'll just read it off of my <laughs> iPad and do it that way than anything. And that's been a huge benefit. And then I've also set up um, biweekly meetings with my employer because communication like I said, has still been a struggle for me. So within, if I had a negative experience, like, like within my last performance appraisal, um, it, like, it was hard for me to bring up. Like, it took, like, over six months to me for me to bring it up. So, of course, they don't want it to take that long. They'd rather have it within, like, a week period. And I'm like, I can't do a week. So <laughs> we had to find a balance within that. So I told them if I can do these biweekly meetings, then I can be able to come forward with anything negative going on within my environment, even if it's just communication within coworkers that I'm not quite understanding, even if it's just a joke or just something in general, then it just makes sense that I'll be able to go through them in a, you know, like in the way that it should go. Because of course, like I said, every company has different policies. And of course, I want to be able to follow theirs. But um, if there's something that I'm not understanding, or like I said, if an issue does get brought up, then it's hard for me to bring that up to them. Because like I said, it's hard for me to be comfortable with everyone in general, just because like I said, I'm different. I mask like all the freaking time because I don't feel safe. And it's hard for me to find people that I feel completely safe with where I can be my true self and my, like my true authentic self. Oh, so of course it's been difficult for me in that regard to feel like, like I said, that I could be accepted and then I don't have to hide all of these autistic traits that I have because I know I have them, obviously. So of course, it, like I said, it's almost like I just want to be able to be accepted for it and I don't want to feel like I'm doing anything wrong because I feel like I'm doing something wrong all the time. No, which is why I feel like I mess up constantly, but I know that's not true. So um, like I said, I need to have those environments in order to feel safe enough. So it's like I don't have to mask all the time either. So which is huge, obviously. So. Yeah, I, I can, we can only imagine as someone who's neurotypical, we can only imagine how much extra energy it takes to to mask and try to all, constantly be monitoring your environment, whether or not you're doing something right or wrong. So yeah. Yes, exactly. Because like I said, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe 28, but I feel like I have one of those brains that's like, I can be like a freaking child all over. 
again. I consider myself, it's almost like, I feel like I have an imagination of a five-year-old, but within a 20-year-old body. So it's like, I kind of have tendencies to like be, you know, like if I'm too excited, I'll like clap my hands or do something like just to try and get all the energy out. But then of course, um, if I'm stressed or anxious, then I might start you know, like, like I said, it's an autism thing to fidget and stuff like that, too. So, of course, I try and have fidget toys wherever I go if I'm feeling stressed or if my emotions get too high, I need something to kind of just calm me down. So, of course, my mother has taught me that I should do yoga breaths because I need to breathe, <laughs> make sure I calm myself down in that regard. So, of course, it's yeah, it's a balance within all of that within myself. That's hard to be able to, like I said, feel safe. Like I said, every autistic person it's different within that regard because of course like i said it's like i said i want to just be able to fit in and be like part of like not completely part of the social norm but still be accepted within that the social environment and of course you know yes i'm autistic but i feel like i'm definitely more of a uh, i'm not an introverted extrovert in that regard because i like to socialize and i like having friends and i like being involved and i like having all of that but of course it's just been difficult at the same time you know, because of course, like I said, I do have social anxiety on top of it. So I want to make sure that I'm still accepted even within conversations, even though it's still hard. But I it. think it, it really speaks to how much work we still have to do as a community that really the bar to clear is just so that autistic people have a safe environment. Yeah. Um, it and is... it's, it's, it's a scary world. It's a scary world out there. So, of course, that's why a lot of us feel like we don't have that safe environment to do so like only within certain people that we trust kind of thing it's not like everyone on the streets right so yeah absolutely and i kind of just want to go back to your experience with your employer um did you find that it was difficult to ask for accommodations were they were they open to it what was that experience like um Actually, I had some assistance from my current significant other. Not sure if you guys actually might know him because he actually did work for Center for Autism Services. And he actually also works for Autism Edmonton. Um, so, but he was a big help. I actually met him through the conference back in March. So he was one of the panelists. So we ended up starting the date afterwards, but that's the point. But he was a big, he was a big help in trying to get that started, which I'm very thankful for and grateful for, for him in general. Oh, he's been a very big blessing in my life. Um, so within that, uh, my experience with setting up accommodations, all I pretty much needed was a doctor's note. So I just ended up uh, getting one from my actual family physician and I got one from my psychologist. So I had a double family of that. So they ended up, uh, so how I went about it though, I didn't go about it the right way. I honestly didn't go about it the right way. Um, there was a comment that I mentioned within a staff satisfaction survey, because of course the company wants to know what they need to improve on and stuff like that. So we end up having a meeting as staff in order to figure out, you know, like what they can work on, stuff like that. So I made a comment saying that they needed to be more educated in neurodiversity. <laughs> so of course they wanted an explanation from me and being a part of the meeting. And of course that's then when it, when I ended up having an emotional explosion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's what I kind of said. Yeah, I did accommodations within that. And I, I know I didn't go about it right. So at least within the process of getting my accommodation set up, at least within that, I was able to, um, it's almost like 
it's almost like I did a good thing with setting that up, even though I went about it wrong. It was it was one of those things where it's like I I could have gotten a strike for that, but I didn't. <laughs> at least, you know, it's like I'm trying to say, hey, I need help. I need something different, right? But of course, I just didn't know how to go about it properly because, of course, I was a little scared of how they react to it than anything, even if just talking to HR or my boss. So of course, that was something that I had to injure than anything. Yes, my boss has been there for a couple of years, but it doesn't mean I have a close, like, personal relationship with her. I have a good professional relationship with her, if that makes sense. So, of course, it was difficult for me to just go to them in general about it when I was going through all the emotions back in March. So, um, and April, but that's besides the point. So, um, once I was able to, I guess, go through the process, um, they ended up giving me, I guess, a paperwork in the regard of, yes, it's not out there within their policies that you're allowed to set up accommodations, but um, they gave me, I guess, in per quote, a coaching plan. And then they used that document as a way to set up what I need for accommodations and how the conversation went between myself and HR. And then eventually my boss got involved. So um, I ended up having a lot of assistance from my partner in that regard to try and um, set that up. <laughs> than anything but I needed to I needed to know within myself to a degree what I needed but of course it was difficult to have that worded in a way where they understood so of course I wanted the fact that during COVID I wanted to have the opportunity to work from home because at the time I was still um, living at my parents place they had an office they had a printer they had everything that I needed so it made sense for me to be able to still work from home I wasn't completely comfortable going back into the office at the time so that was my original accommodation. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get that accommodated, which is why I was like, okay, well, I will be able to work full time, but these are my conditions in order to work full time at the office. So that's why I say I need noise canceling headphones and I need my iPad and I need these. <laughs> so those were my conditions in the fact that, you know, they wanted, and of course, the fact that I think they didn't want me to work from home is because since I work in accounting, I work with a lot of confidential information in general from expenses, timesheets, like I like a lot of inf personal information <laughs> and confidential information that should be out there, obviously. So, of course, I think that was and part of security reasons as to why they didn't want me to work from home. So, like I said, this was the process of me being able to set up what I want. And I was able to talk to my boss about it. We had a meeting about it. And now it's in the coaching plan. And then that's how we move forward from there. Oh, and I also have accommodations with how the review process goes. Um, within just how performance approvals goes. Because um, how I say it is um, it takes me a lot longer to, I guess, be able to process what's going on within myself as to what I need to work on and what others are saying about me. And stuff like that because I don't want what happened last time to happen again. If a comment comes out wrong where it could be discriminatory or ableist or anything like that. So I wanted it to be in a way where if there's something that I don't like within it, then I can still process and be able to go to them. So I asked for more time within how that process works. So even though I might not get like a new contract right away or a new raise or anything like that right away at least then I can still go through it a little differently this time to be able to go through the emotions go through my reactions be able to think about what I need to work on 
and stuff like that within that and then be able to go to them afterwards once I'm done reviewing it all within a time frame because I I said I'd I'd be able to be able to go through the whole thing within a month instead of within a week and then have this meeting and then feel pressured to sign everything right away. I don't know why my video went off. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So, like I said, it's within that time frame because I feel pressured to sign things right away right when the meeting happens and they go through all the comments and go through everything that I'm like, I can't have that. I just can't. I don't want to feel like I'm signing my life <laughs> every single time that happens. So, I like having the pressure where it's like, okay, I can accept whatever's within the review first and be able to go through that first before I sign everything off. <laughs> Because, like I said, it, it, it's one of those companies that uh, it's a not-for-profit, so of course we're paid by the government, and I want to be able to, and it's a contract basis because it's per program and everything like that, so I understand their point of view in that regard. So, like I said, I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to say, but within that, that's how the company works, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to be able to still be accepted within their process and within how they do reviews, and that's it. And then just be able to do my job and be successful at that. Because, of course, like I said, <laughs> I'm good at it or else I wouldn't still be. <laughs> so, and my boss is pretty happy with me because I'm pretty good at the data entry and everything else. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I just want to recognize how much courage it, it probably took to really set the groundwork. Because I think uh, this company, from what it sounds like, you really set the precedent of them being a little bit more accommodating and putting those processes in place. So. And I feel like this is one of the first times I've ever had to like be with, you know, like I feel like I'm their guinea pig a little bit, but I'm not in a bad way. Kind of a good thing where it's like, I'm their first person that they ever hired who's actually autistic. So, and of course um, the people that do know about it are the people that needed to know. So my boss, two of my, two or three of my coworkers that I actually currently work with within the accounting department, they all know. Um, and then the CEO and the CEO know about it. And I think one of the like and I think I'm um, one other person that I work with within um within the organization that I work with to do rate subsidies or invoicing or any of those kind of tasks they know about it but like the entire company no not everyone else but like I said only the people that I want to disclose that should know and then they're able to work with me not against me and that's what I want I want to have a good working professional relationship with them it's taken a while to set that up but at least I feel like I'm a good advocate for myself in that regard and then I can be able to do that for someone else even though they're more than likely their accommodations will be different than mine but at least it'll be an easier process for them yeah absolutely and there's no like cut and dry cookie cutter approach it sort of has to you have to build in the open-mindedness into the company culture to be able to go through that route and provide accommodations but yeah i'm sure anyone who is autistic and ends up working for this company will thank you for really setting the precedence going forward yeah. which is a good thing because they are a great organization like i said they are a not-for-profit that help unemployed Alberts find jobs so that's what they do and i actually like i said it's a long story of even how i ended up with the job but i'm pretty happy i'm still there and that they still like me working for them so that's a huge thing because it's hard for me to be comfortable with wherever I work because I have worked for big organizations. I've worked for like I've worked in retail. I've done like the whole nine yards of that. And I love accounting. Like I fell in love with accounting when I was at NordQuest back in like 
2015 was when I was back in school, 2014, 2015, because um, I did the Administration and Professional Certificate Program at Northwest, and then they had basic bookkeeping within that course. I got 97% of the final exam because I thought that class was, like, kindergarten for me. So I'm like, I need something way more <laughs> So um i think yeah and then in 2016 17 i took the accounting technician certificate program and i ended up doing really well in that course and i loved every single minute of it even though taxes and economics and everything was a little more challenging but i was able to still get through it within myself because i found everything else really easy and explanatory that i'm like okay yep this is definitely something i want to do because i just find it easy and i actually love doing it and so that's what i've been currently working towards within that regard and then once I took the accounting tech, I actually ended up getting my work experience through my current employer. So I ended up doing a month with them, but I ended up having an old supervisor at the time. Um, she ended up loving me when I was there, but of course at the time they didn't have a job for me after my placement was done. So I was gonna join one of their programs that they had at the time as a client, but um, I ended up finding a job instead of trying to find an employer that will take me on to just get work experience. I ended up finding an employer for a three month contract. And um, so I ended up doing that, but they didn't want to do the program itself, which was fine. But at least I still had a contract contracted job. So I did that within the, the three month time period. And within that, uh, my old supervisor reached out to me within not even two like within two months of my contract with the other employer she ended up reaching out saying hey we need somebody for accounting <laughs> so they ended up uh, and of course she reached out to me because she loved what i did and what i did for the company even within the month of free work experience for them because it was done by norquest you know they were paying me to, for me to be there whatever whatever <laughs> how they had that sorted but anyways um so actually, right after my contract ended with that big employer, I ended up going back to <laughs> my current employer, like the day uh, after, like legit, it's like, I have had it ended my three month contract on Halloween, started working for them the first of November, <laughs> like the right next day. So I'm like, I didn't lose a job. I just worked somewhere else. Yeah, so yeah, awesome. and I've been with them ever since. Well, it's great to hear you found something you love. And um, they're a very small organization, which is why I wanted to get my um, certification in payroll, because, of course, within their department, they only have an HR representative. They don't have an actual HR department or anything for payroll and everything like that. So all of the payroll falls on accounting. So I want to be able to be a good asset within them for that. But, of course, um, it's a little bit of a struggle of how I'm supposed to get the work experience through them. So I'm still in the process of trying to talk to CPA and how I'm supposed to get the work experience in that regard. Because apparently I have three years to get it. But, of course, within this organization, I don't even get 35 hours in a year or something like that in order to get my full work experience that I need in order to be certified. So I'm in the process of trying to figure out if there's a way that I can extend the time or be able to talk to them to try and figure out how they go about it just because I do work for a small organization instead of a big one where I'm currently, like, you know, like where I'm doing payroll all the time. I'm not. I mostly do accounting all the time because that's what the job description is. Mm -hmm. So this is extra that I'm trying to figure out as to what to do. So. I currently don't want to leave them, but I don't know. I might have to, and that's the sad thing, and that's what I'm currently going through, and I don't want to, so I don't know if I should still continue with getting my certification or not. So, but that's where I'm currently at. I see. Well, hopefully it all works out. Um, I just want to bring the conversation back a little bit to yeah. our conversation around language. 
And I know that we've we've already talked about how um, identity first language is the way to go. Um, I did find uh, a blog post by a self advocate from Match the Massachusetts Advocates for Children about the pros and cons of person first versus identity first language. And I just want to quickly read you a quote from that post talking about the drawbacks of identity first language. And I, I'm conscious of the fact that obviously identity first for uh, most in the autistic community um, is, is the way to go. Um, and so I don't want to make it seem like we're talking about um, opposing views to identity first language and giving it similar amount of weight as what we talked about when it comes to opponents of person first language. But um, I'll go ahead and read you the quote here. Uh, the autistic community sees their disability as being a fundamental part of who they are. There are some drawbacks to using identity first language. For instance, this type of language may cause people to think that a person's disability completely defines who they are. This is especially problematic when some people's views on disabilities are based solely on negative stereotypes, uh, such as that autistic people lack empathy. I think the underlying assumption here is that autism is a disability and, and talking uh, with some self-advocates during our last mm -hmm. annual conference, I think someone mentioned that they saw it more as a superpower. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Okay, so with that being said, I'm actually an empath. I actually found that out recently where I can feel a lot of somebody's energy and be able to really relate to other people, even though it's extremely hard for me to be able to communicate that. But I can feel it. Like, like I said, I feel like you know, like if a friend is going through a process of like, for instance, one of my friends, her grandfather recently passed away. So but for her, her grandfather raised her. So it's almost like she lost a father and not a grandfather. So I could feel that energy off of her. And it's almost like she lost a parent. And that's so tough for someone to go through than anything. So like even how I describe my emotions, it's so strong. And it's so intense for me that it's you know, like, it's it's almost like instead of my aunt and uncle getting a divorce, it's my parents getting a divorce. Where I feel like it's more intimate and not just something that's just extended within that regard. You know, like I said, aunt and uncle is more an extended family. And it's, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But for me, it is a big deal. Where it's still, like, personal. Where it's like, hey, like I said, it's almost like my parents are getting a divorce. Like, what the frick happened? So, of course, it's, like I said, I feel things so strongly that it's really hard for me to be able to process their emotions and my emotions. Because that's where it's, like, it, it's it's almost like I mimic them. <laughs> it's like a mirror of emotions. I don't know. It's really hard to describe that in that regard. But, um, like I said, we are empathetic. It, we just have a hard time showing it. That's, I think that's what every, I think that's what a lot of people are trying to get at. Yes, a lot of us are to ourselves and stuff like that because, like, like I said, we just have a hard time communicating and be able to re relate to others in a way where it's just, like I said, we just talk a little differently. We just communicate a lot differently. We have the, the language barriers. We have a lot going on within that regard. So, like I said, there are ways that we can relate. It's just, we just have a hard time showing it. I think that's just the big thing within what I'm getting out of the message than anything is within just how we show those emotions and empathy and being able to, like I said, connect with others in a way where like I, it's not a, just about us. It's about them. 
Absolutely. Uh, for sure. Um, so after this topic, let's talk about, <clears throat> sorry. Um, <laughs> um, I have another question for you. Um, we're going to switch over to something more general. Um, how do you think how we talk about autism affects our perception of autism? That's a difficult question, not gonna lie. Because <laughs> like I said, it depends on how people really like perceive what autism is to them than anything. I guess that's the big thing that I'm trying to struggle with is what people's perspective is in regards to autism. Because of course, like I said, I just find it, like I said, it's almost like everybody's born with their different mental illnesses i guess even yes autism is more of a disability than it is a mental illness but at the same time it's still mental it's still everything within the brain everything within here it's all wired and connected like i said differently in a way that that's just how we think clearly think creatively think logically think everything in that regard where like I said, yes, it's it's a disability because of the fact that we're just not good at, like I said, having the social cues, having the, like, what I struggle with is definitely the body language, the eye contact, the sarcasm, the, like, knowing when somebody needs to be left alone. Like, I need all of those, like, more straightforward. And so then it's almost like I'm not affecting their boundaries or their bubble I guess because I'm a big hugger I'm a very big person that's like I want to give out hugs I want to be able to connect with people in that regard but it's like if somebody's having a rough day and it they just want to be left alone or just don't want to be touched or anything like that then of course I don't get those cues I don't I can't pick up on those little social cues that people are able to give off of it's like I said it's almost like legit I'm blind like I black I can't see anything like somebody's blind like you can't see anything right like an actual blind person <laughs> it's just it's something that I just can't see and there's a lot of autistics that we just we can't read it we just we just can't so like how are we supposed to be able to communicate that that's what we're trying to like have out there or express to them that it's like hey can you try and be more direct in like just even just within the I guess as I call it all the invisible stuff that not a lot of people notice but <laughs> it's still something that needs to be addressed in order for us to communicate and relate and that's just like in everybody's perspective within that it's just it's like I said it's just something that's a reality for everyone within the regards of just communication like everything should be communicated and everything should be expressed even if they sh you know like even though normally those cues and everything aren't communicated they should be that's just what I've learned over the years so if I have to be more direct about you know like I don't want to be touched right now I don't want to be like I'm going through a hard time I like I said, I it's almost like those kind of things. I just need that communicated. And even myself, I'm learning how to communicate that within myself and even getting better at, I guess, being more direct and being more straightforward as to where I'm at currently and where, like, my emotions are and everything. Because sometimes I struggle with being present in the moment and being here. It's almost like I kind of dissociate a little bit. And that's something that I struggle with. And I'm trying to be able to be here. And not anywhere else. 
So I'm not sure if that answers the question, but at least it's still a perspective that everyone should still be aware of that it's just like I said it's just about communication it's about how we show it it's about how we show the emotions even though we're just to ourselves it's almost like we're just socially awkward we're legit just socially awkward like I I had a hard time making friends over the years but of course at the same time I had a hard time making friends because I was shy for one I couldn't really communicate much to people because I didn't know really what to say to like you know classmates within myself growing up in general um, I also moved a lot, so um, that was also tough for me. Like, Edmonton isn't the place that I was mostly born and raised. Yes, I did move here when I was 11 years old, but current, but it's not where I'm normally from. Like, I'm, I was born in BC, and then within being born in British Columbia, and then having to move constantly because of my dad's job, I ended up having to live here over that time frame. But I've been to five elementary schools my entire life. A lot of schools for a little kid. So I was always the new kid. And then, like I said, these are not little moves. These are big moves. So I moved from, like, Port Moody, which is, like, the outskirts of Vancouver, to Calgary. So they're not, like, very little moves within the city. These are big continents, big provinces, big cities, big differences. So it was tough on, like, anybody to go through those situations, make new friends, go through all of that. So... I struggled with making friends for years in that regard because I was just so shy and to myself and I didn't know how to be more expressive with those emotions and being able to be more open about them. It was hard for me to even communicate with my parents when I was little and tell them that I was struggling in school. Like, for instance, within language itself, which is actually a part of my disability, is the fact that I cannot process a second language to save my life. <laughs> I can't. I've gone through the French immersion process from grades one to five so where everything is in French one language or one course or whatever is in English the rest all in French so that was very difficult for me I had a comprehension level of a grade two and I was in grade five so it was very 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 hard to be able to come to my parents and be like hi I'm feeling school <laughs> because of language barrier of me not being able to process and be able to comprehend the language. So that was a big struggle for me. So of course, um, within my schooling, I had to be held back twice. So I was supposed to graduate high school in 2011 originally, because that was with my age group. I ended up not graduating high school till 2013. So two years later, but that's because I did grade five twice. So I did one in French, one in English. So at least now you know why. And then I did grade 12 twice because um, I was missing a couple of the core courses, but I had enough of the other courses like credits to graduate so I was able to walk with my friends at one high school and then switched high school to get my high school diploma there and graduated the following year after to get my actual diploma but yeah it was definitely not an easy route but hopefully everything works out <laughs> yeah definitely hopefully um thank you for your insight on that um so I want to shift focus a little bit and talk about identity actually um, okay. You mentioned you were diagnosed 11 years ago. Do you think yeah. the cultural shift around how we think and talk about autism has played a role in forming your identity today? Uh, can you repeat the question? Um, do you think the cultural shift around how we think and talk about autism has played a role in forming your identity today? Um, the culture itself? Um. How, like I said, how I see it in general, I 
do feel like everyone's getting to be in a, like I said, we're in the generation where everything's talked about. Like we're, where everything is an open book. Growing up, it's almost like even just talking about sex was not something that should be talked about. So, um, within autism and everything in general in regards to identity as a whole, um, Okay. Um, it's one of those things that I feel like needs to be, like, culturally, I do feel like everybody's opening up more about it and being more accepting of what autism really is in that regard. Because, you know, like I said, it's something that needs to be, like, addressed in a way where, like I said, it's just more accepting. And I feel like over time, it should be more in that regard, more open and have more supports, have more accommodations, have more everything, everything. So I do feel like we're definitely getting there, but I know there's still a lot of <laughs> work and a lot of process and like a lot of process that needs to be made in that regard in order for, like I said, for the discrimination to not continue to happen, the ableism to not continue to happen. For, like I said, no more bullying, no more nothing. Like, I want to be able to be, hopefully, in more of a world that's, like I said, just more accepting, more open, like they are starting to be, and just more, like, like, like I said, it's almost like everyone needs to be educated in a way that it's able to, you know, like, so that everyone can relate to one another and have those connections built. So, I feel like within the culture and everything like that, I think Europe is way more ahead of us. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like they're way more like 20, 24, 2025, 20, whatever. How I see it, it's almost like that's where we need to end up is where they are at within their autism community than anything else. Or else Gerder wouldn't have done her thing and come across Canada to try and raise the rarities for the global world and, you know, like within the global warming and everything that she was trying to protest like a couple years ago about before the pandemic. So of course, um, that's something that I feel like is a good change. And I feel like a lot more autistics are trying to advocate a lot more for themselves. And I think that's a huge accomplishment because like I said, it's something that we really want to be able to be accepted for and just open, like just open and be able to, like I said, be able to like voice more like even for the ones that can't be able to be that voice for them like the ones that can't speak whatsoever and be like hey this is where I'm at this is what we need change this is the sports we need and be able to meet those needs and meet those like the wants that they need in order for them to you know like I said just get through life so. yeah absolutely I think it's really interesting too this this past summer I came across a couple different online content creators that are autistic, um, self-advocates that are putting themselves out there on TikTok, on Instagram, and sharing their stories. I think that was like super impactful. I, I found myself learning, even though, you know, I, I've worked with the autistic community, community for the past couple of years, and I've still found myself learning every time I saw a video. And here's the thing. This is a big thing that I want you to understand is the fact that, yes, you know, like you have your, you know, like person that you know, but that's just one person. You know what I'm getting at? You only know one person who's autistic or the autistic person. You only know them. There's many that have different stories and how they see. Because this is my story. My story is going to be a lot different than somebody else's because their autism is a lot different than mine. And that's it. That's legit it. Everybody's 
like I said, it like I said, it's almost like we want to tell our own stories in a way that, hey, this is a thing. This is where we're at. This is our experience of what it's like to be autistic. This is how we see the world. This is what we want to contribute to the world. This is what we feel like is a needed fit. And even actually one of my dreams is to write an actual book in regards to that, because I've always wanted to be a little bit of an author since I was five. So that's still a dream of mine. So hopefully I get that out there one day. But yeah, that's the big thing is, like I said, you just know one person who's autistic. It doesn't mean you know the entire community of autistic people. Because like I said, everybody's stories is different. Everybody's experience is different. So that's how I can relate to others in a way within the empathy in regards. Because it's like everybody's going through their own story. Everybody's going through their own experiences. So like if somebody were to tell a story of like these decisions that they've made and these choices that they've made and this is what happened and everything like that, it's almost like if I were to be in their shoes, I'd more than likely do the exact same thing they just did because of where their mindset and everything was at at that time. That's why the things plan panned out the way that they were supposed to. So, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to that statement. If you've met an autistic person, you've met an autistic person. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but it's great. I think that people, a lot, lot more people are getting exposure. I think that's the important part. Uh, and, and I love it how there's a lot of autistic people that want to do that because, of course, that's a big thing that really needs to be spread. So I think that's a good thing. And I know a lot of people aren't like me where they're really good when it comes to media content and being able to be open within like just media and social media and everything like that because not everyone is able to or they're comfortable with it or anything like that but I feel like I'm one of the ones that can relate to the ones that are the you know the neurotypical and the ones that are actually like in the you know like where I am like within the disability community the autism community like everything within those communities I feel like I'm a good connection for both and that's where I let my shine through, where I can be that person where it's like, okay, I can put things in terms where, <laughs> like I said, a normal human being who's not autistic can relate to me being autistic. So that's where I'm at. Excellent. All right. To end off, Danielle, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Um. The fact that I think when it comes to autism, it's something that should be embraced and not discriminated against. Because like I said, like I said, in a way, yes, everybody says it's a superpower, but it, like it, it is to a degree. And I feel like there's still a lot to learn by everyone. A lot, a lot, a lot to learn within that regard. Because like I said, there's people out there that you didn't even know who's autistic. I know Temple Grandin's a big person on the autism community that's actually created the you know, how we deal with the process of cows now of how they get killed. So like I said, there's good within how those people are a big impact to our lives. Like even, I don't know, Albert Einstein, apparently there was a thing that he could be autistic. Like there's a lot of people that created in those inventions. If it wasn't for our minds and for who we are as individuals, like we wouldn't be here. Because it's almost like we need to find our purpose within life as to why we're here. And I feel like that's a big thing that needs to be voiced than anything. So, like I said, I want everyone to just be accepted for who they are, embrace who you are, and be able to, like I said, just go through this life in a way where you're just, like, like I said, everybody's on a journey to love themselves where they are and learn about themselves. And I think this is a part of it. That was, that was very well put. 
very well put. Um, great. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Uh, you had some wonderful insight and it was a really interesting discussion. So thank you for joining us. Of course. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.